Welcome to Raiders of the Lost Podcast, one of the fastest growing movie podcasts in the world, where we discuss all things film. On this episode, we will discuss Saving Private Ryan. Directed by Steven Spielberg, this film won five Oscars, is ranked number 25 on IMDb users' top films of all time. Hey there, movie friends. Welcome back to Raiders of the Lost Podcast. I'm Anthony. And this is James. And first and foremost, before we begin, we want to dedicate this episode of Saving Private Ryan, Raiders of the Lost Podcast, to all military personnel who have served or are serving right now. We're both beyond grateful for the immense sacrifices they've made and bravery they've shown throughout their lives and careers. And also for the millions who have lost their lives ensuring our liberties in the security of our nation as we remember them all on this Memorial Day in the United States. And that's why we chose this movie in particular because there's been so many great war films made and there have been so many great films depicting the sacrifice that so many people endured for our freedoms. And I think that no other movie depicts that sacrifice better than Saving Private Ryan because I think Spielberg accurately depicted what uh, the the men in these battles went through and how much was given up, how many lives were lost. And he shows that with this film in the most realistic way you've ever seen depicted in a movie before. And that it, watching this movie really makes you understand uh, what was lost in order to defeat the, the evils of the Nazi regime in the Soviet Union at the time and how many lives were lost in doing so. Yeah, I think the realism of this movie specifically is what makes it seem so authentic and makes it such an important film because in a way, this is sort of a very historical artifact, you could say, in terms of a piece of media or a piece of culture for the memory of this war because the generation of of the people who fought in this war and the generation of the the people who lived during the time of it and remember it, they're, they're starting to go away and they're starting to fade away and their lives are ending and Obviously, we'll have history books and footage and, and all that, but I think this movie specifically, Saving Private Ryan, of all other war films, is one of the most important because of how accurate it is to the depiction of war. Because, like, you, you kind of just brought up how a lot of other films, they seem to either glorify war in a way, like Top Gun is like, oh, it's such a cool yeah, action like war America, movie. It yeah. makes me want to be a, a pilot and go and be in the Air Force and be like Maverick because Maverick is, is an all-American cool guy. And he's like, I want to be that guy, ride motorcycles and wear sunglasses. Yeah. But this film, it does the exact opposite where it shows the consequences of war. It shows men on the on the beaches of Normandy, Omaha Beach, holding their guts out, men crying and sobbing for their mothers, priests right there dying alongside soldiers and and PTSD syndrome and all these little things that most war films don't really touch on or just graze upon lightly, but to show the actual consequences of war and the toll it takes in terms of life, that's why Saving Private Ryan is so important. Before we continue, we need your help. In order to make this show as great as it can possibly be, we need your support. And the best way to do that is to become a patron at patreon.com slash Raiders of the Lost Podcast. You'll get exclusive video content like behind-the-scenes videos, Q&As, and all patrons are entered into monthly giveaway contests. Every dollar we get from Patreon goes right back into the show, so every dollar counts for us, and we appreciate everyone who supports us. Head on over to our website, RaidersOfTheLostPodcast.com. Check out all of our sources of content, our merch, our custom movie posters, and you can become a patron there. Do you think it's the best war movie ever made? I think it, it is. The yeah. War, yeah. I think it's the best war movie ever made for that reason because I know there are there are so many people who are against being involved in wars and against warfare. And 
I understand where they're coming from, but you have to understand that uh, at this point in time, the Nazi regime was trying to take over the world, and they were taking over Western Europe. And so the entire survival of an entire race in, in terms of the Jewish population in Europe and then the, the well-being of every other nation in Europe was at stake and they were under threat. And we had to enter this war in order to aid uh, the Allied forces. And if, if uh, America didn't enter the war, there was a very slim chance that would have uh, ended in victory for the Allied forces. And so all the Allies banded together and they were able to defeat the enemy of the Nazi party and then the Soviet Union because um, they were fighting for something worth living for. They were fighting for the good in humanity. Yeah. No one wants to go to war. No one wants to glorify war. Really, I don't think that's what Spielberg is doing here. He's showing the results of war, the consequences of war. It's not fair that these 17, 18, 19-year-old men were shipped overseas to these different countries to fight in wars against well-trained armies of the Axis forces. Yeah, they had been d developing their army for seven years. They were remilitarized re re their country. Um, they developed new weaponry. So they were preparing for this, whereas we were reacting to it. Yeah, and so it's not fair that they had to do this. And like you said, there's a reason. There are reasons to go to war. This film shows that. It, we had to stop. The world had to stop pure evil. The destruction of civilization as we know it and you can say that you could argue historians are w would say that normandy the operation was probably the the pivotal movement in world war ii where we'd be living in in a nazi world or or free democracy so the normandy beach operation that was probably the most important aspect of world war ii yeah because it was the allies um advancing onto german ground yeah and so i mean we all, if, I don't know if anyone's seen the Amazon show, The Man in the High Tower, which is kind of based on the idea of what would happen if the Nazis won the war. That's That was very close to happening. Hitler and the German army and, and the Axis forces, they were very powerful. They were, take, they were going across Europe with ease, pretty much. Yeah, they took over Poland with ease in a matter of days, and the same thing with France. France fell in, in under a week, I believe, and so uh, they, they showed no signs of slowing down. Yeah, they had Italy, they had Austria— Italy was in their pocket. Yeah, so they had yeah. a lot of these countries, and, you know, fascism was spreading like a disease. So the thing with Saving Private Ryan, it shows the rare reasons why you have to go to war. Not that you want to go to war. Not that you do it for resources or or evil nature. You do it to save the world, and you have to sacrifice. And this film depicts and shows the sacrifice that all these men gave up. They gave up their lives. You're 18 years old, and you're on a boat landing on Omaha Beach in 1944 you've never even, you haven't even lived your life yet and so i think that's that's what the importance of memorial day is i believe the average age on that beach was 22 years old for the average soldier isn't that crazy yeah there's that's 17 wild. year olds there's but the average it, the ages were like 20 to 30 yeah yeah on average but the average was 22 but one of my favorite shots in the opening of the, of the movie in the normandy boat scene is before they land spielberg and cinematographer they get close ups of like every different age of person of yeah. man on that ship which is really interesting and obviously the centerpiece of this movie is the storming of omaha beach and Spielberg clearly devoted a lot of time and a lot of the production to this because it is the greatest depiction of warfare that I've ever seen. And he also utilized some really incredibly revolutionary filming techniques for the scene. And he basically kind of created a new, a new style for depicting action. And 
nowadays it's very common to see handheld, desaturated, high shutter. These are very common things you see in an action movie or in a fight sequence, but he pretty much um, put a stamp on that style with this movie. And the first major technique he did was, if you watch this movie, it's very desaturated. Now this is before digital color grading. The way they achieved the look is is they bleached the film. It's called a bleach bypass, which is they dip the film in a color in a, a chemical bath before they film. And what this does is it desaturates the image. It makes it super contrasty and also kind of makes the highlights glow. So that's why it has like that glowing high effect on all the highs of the of the light. And the last major movie that did this to great effect was um, Harry Potter and the Half-Blood Prince. So if you remember that movie. Beautiful movie. Yeah, it has that same desaturated chemically look where it's not digitally done. That's actually naturally done with a chemical bath. And so they implemented that into this movie, which created this new sensation of a desaturated um, movie. And then also lots of handheld cinematography. Obviously, handheld have been, has been around for a very long time. I mean, Kubrick used it in the friggin' 60s, and a lot of French New Wave filmmakers used it. But what Spielberg did was he he purposely wanted it to be shaky to make it feel like you're making like we were filming a documentary while watching this scene take place. And it also, if you, if you watch certain shots in terms of uh, the POV shots of German soldiers when they're firing on their automatic on, on the turrets in their in their positions like inside bunkers what spielberg did was the camera really shakes in those moments and what he did was he attached electric drills to the cameras and they they use the power drills on the cameras as they film to get them to really shake to make it feel like you're right beside a machine gun going off yeah uh cinematographer janice kaminsky he does. He's done all of Spielberg films, I think, since Schindler's for like, List for like the, for the last thirty years. So he didn't yeah. do like any of the Raiders movies, but Schindler's List was the first time they worked together, and he did this. And even though Spielberg did a lot of the camera operation for this Normandy beach scene, one of my favorite aspects of the cinematography of the Omaha beach scene is it was not storyboarded. They went into it, and Spielberg wanted to make it as natural feeling as possible to make it seem like you're there. That's why it's so, so shaky. Uh, like you said, like shaking the camera on purpose to coincide with the explosions and the and the gunshots, and then it, I mean this the, it's still beautiful. Every shot you could freeze it and it looks like a an actual war photo, which is what's so incredible about it. I think that's the aesthetic they are going to going forward. And my favorite shot of the whole entire maybe the whole movie, but the opening Normandy beach scene is the first shot of the beach, which is a Dutch angle of the the low tide escaping the high tide from high to the low tide. And we see all those um, anti-tank, anti-boat um, hedgehogs in the water on, on the sand, and I think it's just a beautiful way to show the the chaos, the like it's the calm before the storm. Before we continue, we have an urgent message from our friends at Manscaped.com. Use our coupon code Raiders of the Lost at checkout for twenty percent off and free shipping. They have just released their brand new 4.0 lawnmower groomer, and I'm telling you. Somehow it blows the 3.0 out of the water. It's waterproof. It has a light you can use in the shower. A billion RPM, whatever is on it. It's like a rocket ship for your for your grooming. And over 2 million men are using Manscaped products right now. They're helping us keep the lights on. So every time you guys use our coupon code, Raiders of the Loss, it helps the show out. Fellas, everyone listening, you got to get on Manscaped.com. Their colognes, deodorizers, boxer briefs are super comfortable. I'm a big fan of their wipes that they have for guys. Fellas, everyone listening... Manscaped.com is the best place to get gifts for the men in your life. I recommend their packages, which has a bunch of items consolidated into one gift. Use our coupon code Raiders of the Lost at checkout for 20% off and free shipping year-round. 
Yeah, those are basically like underwater mines that were supposed to destroy the Allied forces, but because the Germans thought that the the Americans were going to come in on high tide so that those barriers and those uh, mines would be hidden under the water, and then boats, when they hit them, they would just explode. So, And they um, wanted to go... Well, I don't know if they would explode, but they would destroy some of them ships. had Some of them had mines on the but edges they, of yeah, them. Yeah. They chose not to go in high tide. Well, they thought that they'd come in high tide because there'd be less beach to travel. Yeah, so they could get closer to the beach, but the Allied forces wisely had a feeling this would be the case, so they waited until low tide to go, which is why all those things are visible on the beach. Those things weren't supposed to be visible by anyone. Yeah, so it was actually very clever to come in at that low tide. Yeah, and my favorite part, of, one of my favorite parts about the movie in general is the way that Spielberg establishes the lead character. Now, if you remember the opening of the, of the movie, you have... Now we know it's Private Ryan. He's elderly with his family, and he's visiting um, the the tombstone of Captain Miller at, at I think it's Arlington Cemetery. And we he, Spielberg goes to this close up of of Private Ryan's eyes, and and then um, and then he cuts to Normandy, and we're on the boat, and then we see Captain Miller, and he looks off, and um, we see a close up of his eyes as well, and they actually do look very similar. It look and Spielberg's trying to imply that. Um, the man in the opening is an elderly version of Captain Miller, but he's throwing us off because that means our expectations mean that Captain Miller is going to survive, which is why it's such a devastating surprise when Captain Miller ends up dying in the end and we discover that that old man in the opening was actually Private Ryan. I think that's a great point because I think that's exactly what he's doing, but he reveals that that's not the case at the end of the Normandy beach scene because before they dissolve the old man going into the Normandy battle, it's the close-up of those blue eyes, and Matt Damon and this old man both have very blue eyes, but the end of the Omaha beach scene, it's a very close-up of Tom Hanks' character, Captain Miller's uh, eyes, and Tom Hanks has green eyes, so I think that for the first half hour, you're thinking it's him, but then once that close-up comes, you're like, oh, that wasn't him in the beginning of the movie. Who is that? Yeah. The whole movie is built around this idea of this ridiculous mission in the eyes of the soldiers of this company, where they have to sacrifice their lives to save one man, where they have to sa sacrifice their entire outfit just for, to bring one man home, who didn't do anything special. He's not someone important, but... These are the orders these men were given. And they're struggling with this idea the entire film and c struggling to come to terms with carrying out this act. And none of them want to do it. Not even Captain Miller wants to do it. But he he's a leader and he's a captain and he understands the chain of command and he's doing his orders. So what what do, what do you think? Why why do you think that this army outfit was is risking their lives to save one man? What, what do you think the point of it is? I think that... Because of the chain of command, because of orders, they're following orders, but also I think it all ties into the letters and in terms of sacrifice and the, the un, unspoken bond that, that soldiers have. And it's, it's, it's interesting to watch this film, even though we're all, uh, all the characters are on the same side, they're all the same army, each little outfit, they're all like their own little group that... They don't like anyone else coming inside their yeah, group. They don't like outsiders. Yeah. So like they don't like the airborne. They don't like when they're when they see other people or someone comes to try to come inside. They don't like up them when he comes in and he's assigned to them. They they kind of haze him the whole time, basically, or, or or just telling him to get away from them whenever they, he's around. But this this motif, I think, of the letters symbolizes the sacrifice and then that unspoken bond of respect that soldiers have because the film 
the letters are a major theme or motif in Saving Private Ryan. We have the woman writing the letters to the families on behalf of the countless sons, husbands, and brothers who died in battle. The letters of all the Ryan brothers that are being given to the mother. We have the general reading that letter from Abraham Lincoln to the mother in Boston who lost five sons in the Civil War. And then Caparzo's letter to his father. And this is the main thing that I'm trying to connect with what you're saying is this letter... He's holding he's holding it out after he gets shot by the sniper. He's asking them to give it to his dad. It's a letter to his dad. And this letter, it passes on from soldier to soldier. Each one is dying, and they're passing the letter back to someone else, or someone else is taking it from a dying soldier. So I think it's that unspoken need that soldiers have to demonstrate their bond, to, to lay themselves on the line for each other. And I think that just the letters speaks to that concept of brotherhood and war. Yeah, that's a, that's a great point. And yeah, every single person that gets Carpazzo's letter ends up dying in the film until Ruben at the end takes the letter because he's one of the last two to survive. And But for me, when I think about the idea of saving this one man, I think it, it's, it has a very deep meaning, which is illustrated by the officers reading that letter from Lincoln to that mother. And I think what Ryan represents is the last... The last bit of hope that we have, because this the the family the Ryan family they've lost nearly everyone. There's just one one son left, and if you lose that last son, then you you will fall into complete despair and um, develop a loss of hope. And that's a metaphor for the art for the army and for the war and and understanding that we've lost so many men, but we have to keep fighting for that last bit of hope, for the the chance that we can succeed. And so I think that Ryan represents the last bit of hope that's left in, in the world. That's a great point. And there's two uh, moments at the, towards the end of the film that remind me of that. And it's specifically um, when they find Ryan after they've lost two or three men and, you know, they've gone through hell and back just to get to this guy. And the whole time they've had animosity towards him. They've never met him. He means nothing to them. They They don't know why they're on this mission. They're trying to get it over with, and they meet Ryan, and it's it's awkward for them. You know, they've lost men, and Ryan doesn't want to come home because he want, he's with his last brothers. He's with the only brothers he has left, he tells them. And Siz- Tom Sizemore's character, Sergeant Horvath, he's, he's talking to Captain Miller, and he's talking about how maybe bringing Ma- Private Ryan home is the only decent thing they'll do in this war. Because, yes, they're at war. They're we're trying to stop the most evil force that the earth's probably ever seen in centuries and even though they're fighting on the good side of the war it's still war they're still killing people they're still committing atrocious crimes that they'll probably have to deal with for the rest of their lives or whatever they believe in they'll have to deal with it in the afterlife depending on their faith but Sizemore's character Horvath kind of recognizes that maybe this is something good that we can do and Edward Burns' character Private Reuben he even does that nod to to Ryan before the yeah. attack and he's like you have my respect now because you're you're here to fight and you're here to stay and you're proudly serving with with your new brothers and and I think that they all recognize what you're just talking about how private Ryan represents hope in a way yeah because that first Ryan they go to with the mix up he immediately begins weeping and he wants to go home right away when he hears the news and the men have absolutely no respect for him after seeing his reaction but then when they meet the real James Ryan and see his reaction of him refusing to give up his post 
refusing to abandon his his fellow soldiers, they identify how they feel themselves in him because they they are they have their own brotherhood in their unit, and so that adds so much respect to them for for Ryan. And I think that throughout this movie, the soldiers they're always trying to grasp, they're always trying to salvage their humanity in certain ways. They're always trying to. Yes, they're like you said, they're committing committing atrocities and they're killing. But uh, Spielberg always brings these moments of humanity throughout the film, like for example, letting that German soldier go. Who they he he's unnamed in the movie, but they he, people call him Steamboat Willie because of that that quote he says. So we'll just call him Steamboat Willie. And this is a, a major part of that idea of preserving humanity because Captain. The other soldiers, they want to kill this man. They want to execute him, not just kill him. Execute him. He's unarmed. He's a POW. Technically, they're not supposed to hurt him. They're supposed to keep him hostage or let him go or, or pass him off to the next unit. And Captain Miller decides to let him go, and he stops his men from killing them, killing Steamboat Willie, because there's a difference between killing in war, during warfare, during a battle, to executing someone who's unarmed and unwilling to fight against you. And so... Captain Miller is trying to preserve his men's humanity in that moment. And yes, it works against them because Steamboat Willie, like Ruben says, he goes back into circulation. He ends up killing a lot of American soldiers, even kills Miller and he even kills Miller himself. So, um, but that's not the, that's not the problem. The problem is if you murder him, you lose your humanity. Before we continue, I have to tell you all about movieposters.com, the number one place to get your posters online today. Head on over to MoviePosters.com and use our special promo code Raiders15. Again, Raiders15 to get 15% off your order today. If you're checking out our set on YouTube, you'll be able to see that our set is decked out with these amazing posters. If you're a fan of movies, if you're a fan of television shows, there's no better way to express that love than with a movie poster. And MoviePosters.com is the number one place to get those posters. They've also teamed up with us to sell our custom movie posters. Head on over to RaidersOfTheLustPodcast.com to check those out today. And again, for all of your poster needs, go to MoviePosters.com and use our special promo code Raiders15. Again, Raiders15 to get 15% off your order today. So glad you brought that up because it's such an important scene. And it might be the most powerful moment for Captain Miller, I think, besides the end of the film. And it's so important because... His soldiers and his men are fighting, and, and Reuben is is going after Horvath, and Horvath is his sergeant, so he's his commanding officer. But Reuben's, you know, going he's going AWOL kind of. He's yeah, he wants to he's, leave. He's um refusing commands from his superior officers, and it, there's all this fighting going on, and they want to execute the soldier. And in order to calm the situation down, what he does is he brings up the pool that's on him. You know, what's the pool? Because Miller refuses to tell anyone what he does back home, who where he's from his occupation he refuses to talk about his family and this is where he starts talking about how he's a teacher he's an english composite composition teacher and he says back home when i tell people what i do for a living they're like oh yeah that makes sense you seem like you're your teacher you're a really nice guy and you're, you're very intelligent and articulate they're like oh yeah that figures but out here no one can guess what he does because he's lost so much of his humanity he doesn't know who he is anymore and sometimes he's wondered if he's changed so much that his wife won't recognize him when he goes back home. And he says this amazing line. He says, with every man I've killed, the farther away from home I feel. And so that's why they let this German soldier go is 
Miller's trying to grasp onto that humanity, and Caparzo's trying to grasp onto that humanity too. I think the scene where he's trying to save that young girl in that destroyed village, he's trying to grasp humanity as well. All of these characters are trying to, like you said, hold on to that humanity before it's completely gone. I also think that Miller keeps who he is a secret from the other men. It kind of reminds me of Moneyball when Billy Bean doesn't interact with his players because it makes it easier for him to fire them on the spot, which often happens in that business. And so for Miller, I think it's easier for him to not develop personal relationships with his men because he knows some of them are going to die because of his orders. And he knows that they're going to um, be against what he tells them to do oftentimes. And I think that because he's responsible for every one of them, every time one of them dies under his under his command, it's very difficult for him to deal with. So I think he tries to keep a separation from them in that regard. So it's less painful. It's less painful when they do die. Yeah. In that church scene, he's uh, talking to Horvath and he's trying to rationalize death and expandability in a way. Expendability, I'm sorry. Yeah. Um, of his soldiers and he's talking about how whenever he gets one of his men killed he tries to justify or rationalize it maybe i saved two maybe i saved three maybe i saved 10 times as many more men because that one person died and he says he's lost 94 men in battle but maybe he saved 10 times 20 times that because those men the choices that he made the situations they put them in saved other men's lives so he's dealing with trying to rationalize all the death around him because he's so responsible for lives. And it's a tough position to be in, this ranger, this this captain in war. And he's going through a lot, you can tell, with the shaking of his hand, which is clearly, I think, a sign of PTSD. And it's really obvious to a lot of the, the men in his in his in his infantry unit and specifically when he's holding the compass to the map and they're all just watching him the and Spielberg gets just a close up of everyone's face watching his hand they're all looking at his hand and he's always trying to shake it off he's like oh it's nothing or I'm just trying to stay in rhythm and he's snapping his fingers to be funny and he's a very honorable person very great leader and I think that's why he's such a special character and Tom Hanks is it might be my favorite Tom Hanks role ever oh wow yeah, he's had so many great roles. And the reason why Tom Hanks works so well in this movie is because he's perfectly cast because he doesn't look like an action star. He's not like a rugged superstar movie he, movie hero. He's not jacked. He's not chiseled chin. He People always describe Tom Hanks this way. He's a he's an everyman. He he looks just like a normal guy. He looks like he could be your your dad or your or your uncle and or, or your brother he looks like we like you would expect a normal person to look not like a superstar actor and so when we see him on screen as a, as a commanding officer in these battles it makes us really relate to it because this person who, who I feel I know in my real life is on this battlefield then it makes you understand like oh normal people were on these battlefields not these chiseled action stars Plus, Tom Hanks is like one of the most beloved Americans of all time. So, yeah. I mean, he's got that going for him, too. Yeah. That guy's the man. Let's intermission. But yeah, let's uh, let's run into an intermission and tone it down for a little bit. And get a, I mean, tone it up a little bit. You know? Yeah, yeah. Stephen Fry Ryan's a great movie, but it's, you know, it's, it's, it's dark. Not, yeah, we can't laugh too much it's about it. It's dark. So, yeah. let's go into an intermission, which is brought to you by our friends at Manscaped. Use our coupon code Raiders of the Lost for 20% off and free shipping. And if you're new to our intermissions, we're going to do some fun movie quote competitions where guess some... 
some movie year releases, movie pop quizzes, and and yeah, we'll, we'll do some stuff. So I'll begin. I'll say a movie quote, and Anthony has to guess the title of the film. Let's and go. I did all war film trivia and stuff. So oh, cool. Well, I did a little Spielberg. So all right, cool. There's enough bang in there to blow us all to Jesus. If I'm gonna die, I want to die comfortably. There's enough bang in there. Yeah. There's enough bang in there. There's enough bang in there to blow us all to Jesus. If I'm gonna die, I'm gonna die comfortably. Let me know if you want a hint. I'll take a hint. Iraq War. Iraq War? Uh, Hurt Locker. Yeah. yeah. There you go. Nice. So that's right before yeah. he, he's he's taking off his body armor and everything mm-hmm. when the car, he's trying to defuse the bomb in the car. Yeah. It's a great scene. That's a great, great movie. All right. Here we go. You still don't know. You still don't understand what you're dealing with, do you? The perfect organism. Its structural perfection is matched only by its hostility. Say again slower. You still don't understand what you're dealing with, do you? The perfect organism. Its structural perfection is matched only by its hostility. Alien. Yep. Let's Good go. I, th- I was thinking Spielberg in my head, but you threw me off with that. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Guess this film release year. Three Kings. Directed by David O. Russell. Starring George Clooney. Maki Mack. Maki Mack. And Ice Cube. 2001. No, 1999. Oh. Isn't Spike Jones in this? Yeah. Yeah, he's, he's, yeah, he's the yeah, guy. He plays the guy who gets, yeah. who gets shot in the stomach. and I mean, in the lung, and then they pierce his yeah, lung. That, yeah, that crazy that, scene. Sorry, yeah. spoiler, if you haven't seen it. <laughs> he's not that important you a character. You spoiled this movie. I was planning on watching it sometime <laughs> in the next few years. Yeah, I might have watched it in like 20 years, man. <laughs> okay, movie release here. Jaws. 19. Yep. 76. <laughs> Five, one off, five. Ah, my gut feeling yeah. was seventy-five too. Yeah. The biggest block, the first summer blockbuster. Yeah. All right, movie pop quiz time. Oliver Stone won an Academy Award for directing which nineteen eighty-six blockbuster war film? Platoon. There you go. This guy. Wow. <sighs> <laughs> You're watching on YouTube. I'm doing the the Willem Dafoe death scene. <laughs> I love Tropic Thunder. Ben <laughs> <laughs> still gets shot like a hundred times. And, and he survives. He, he's still like, <laughs> he survives. <laughs> I love that movie. <laughs> okay, here's my movie pop, pop quiz question. This person became very famous after a radio transmission of War of the Worlds. Orson Welles. Yep. Let's go. Nice job. Yeah, we, we talked about that last yeah, week. Yeah, tell that story. It's really cool. Yeah, so uh, Orson Welles, he became notoriously famous after this. What happened was he did a radio transmission. Back then, um, not everyone had television, so most people listened to the radio to get entertainment. And he did this nationwide broadcast of a play version of War of the Worlds that if you've seen the Spielberg movie, it's a famous novel about um, aliens taking um, attacking Earth. And because they had a bunch of actors performing it, the people, everyone around the country who listened to this thought it was really happening. If they didn't hear the introduction. If they didn't hear the introduction. So if they just tune into the radio like 10 minutes in or halfway through, they heard like some crazy scene of an aliens attacking New York City. And so this created a nationwide panic across the entire country and it became the biggest news story for months and Orson Welles was behind it all, and this is what catapulted him into fame. And after this, he began making movies. I love that quote. What is it? In 
knocked up where Jonah Hill's like, now I know why Orson Welles ate himself to death. <laughs> <laughs> that, that man got very big. Ugh, he's making bank. <laughs> All right, biggest hater of the week. Oh, hold on. Let me pull one up. This one happened on YouTube, actually. So this is a this is a hater on YouTube. <laughs> Unsubscribe due to ads, sponsors every five minutes. Shame you can't just do them all at the beginning. Unfortunate. Sorry, Dean, but that's how we pay the bills around here. I mean, we wish we could do an ad-free show, but, I mean, this isn't free. We don't have a bill fairy. I don't know what your living situation is, <laughs> Dean, but this is how we pay bills. We have our sponsors. We're very fortunate to have sponsors, and... We only have a couple. We have movie posters and Manscaped, and plus we do our plug for our our Patreon. Our so social, yeah, you yeah. could say we do three ads an episode. And I understand that you know everyone wish that we could do page. I mean, podcast episodes with no ads, but you know we put a hundred plus hours a week into the show, and this is how we're trying to make our living. So yeah, and also we space them out throughout the episode. A lot of podcasts you turn it on, and it's like three minutes of ads in a row, and you're like, oh, can I just listen to the podcast? It's something you can't even skip. Yeah, so we like to space them out. Rather than doing them all at once so that it doesn't, you don't get bombarded with just advertisements for four minutes straight. Yeah, and on YouTube, we don't have ads during roll. During the during the episode, there's there's no ads that stop the 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 actual show. So you can, we don't even put those kinds of ads on there too. So sorry, Dean, that you couldn't skip through an ad. He has a really tough life. My God, bro. Seriously. Thank you to everyone else who, we don't even care if you skip through the ads. As yeah. long as you just use our coupon codes. Yeah, that's skip how we, through them. Who cares? Like, that's how we pay the bills. Yeah. Coupon codes, everybody. So yeah. thank you. Thank you to everyone who's used our, our Manscaped and Movie Posters codes because they're keeping the lights on. <laughs> All right, let's get back into it. So Captain Miller, I think he's a shining example of what a courageous leader the epitome of one can be. And he's contrasted with the recruit he takes in, and that's Upham. Now, Corporal Upham, he's, everyone knows he's famously a coward and... He's kind of just like a dis, not despicable, but you can you despise him because he's so he he fails to act and he's just like uh, the most hated character in this movie. And I think this actor, I think his career was negatively affected by how people viewed him because of his character in this movie. Upham's not a bad person; he's just not built for war. And it's very obvious the moment Miller meets him, and he gets lots of his men killed. And during that final battle at Ramel, he fails to provide ammunition to his men. And many lose their lives because of his inability to act. And I think that as hated of a character he is, he's necessary for this movie. And I think he is a very important metaphor for this movie. Why do you think he's in this movie? Why do you think this character is here in this movie? I think, they didn't have to have I it. think what we were talking about earlier is he represents humanity. And he seems to be a surrogate for the audience. He's this ordinary person. He doesn't seem he could harm a fly. He brings a typewriter to war. Um, then he's thrown into this war zone. He's not a soldier. He's not a fighter. He doesn't want to kill anyone. He doesn't want to be killed. He's just there to translate. Um, he's a coward. He's afraid to help his friend being attacked. He's afraid to dish out bullets to his to his fellow comrades in battle when he could easily help them. Um, I think he represents innocence and in how it's lost so easily in war. And I think him... Killing the soldier at the end, he kills that German soldier to relieve himself of that guilt he has for cowardly letting the German soldier kill his friends. He watches him kill Captain Miller. Well, he helps. He shoots Captain Miller in the stomach. Multiple and people he fails. Shoot him. He fails to save his other the other um, private during the knife fight. Yeah. So I think that 
Upham is the, a character where everyone else has killed. All these characters have killed. They've lost their humanity in that way. Um, but I think that he makes the decision where he'd rather live with grief of revenge and with becoming a killer than letting it go unpunished in a way. And I think that watching that soldier... Well, I think for him it's because he executes that soldier. Yeah, he, he does. doesn't just kill him; he executes. I, I think him. what he he's he watches the the cycle of war through this character. Even though they let him go, and this character is in, he's digging that grave, and he's in the grave, and he's he's throwing all the pop culture American references that he knows to try to save his own life, and and up and's trying to like smoke a cigarette with him and and communicate with him. Yeah. I think that he watches what happens to that person, where he seems like he doesn't want to be there, just like up him. But then he watches him kill his friends, and he's back in the war machine. And I think that he's killing the German soldier not just for revenge, but for his hate of war. That's a, that's a great point. I also think that Upham represents the failure to act. Now, the failure to act is vital to this war because it the failure to act is what allowed the Nazis to gain power. Because what happened in Europe was there was a truce after World War One for a, a few decades, and the Germans were kind of looked down upon by the Allied forces because they were beat up during World War One. They were embarrassed, and then what happened was the Germans they they gave Hitler power, and and Hitler, and Hitler began promoting the German the German greatness, and they, they they began building their army. They were developing new weaponry. They were building new tanks. They, they were not supposed to. Yeah, they were doing all this stuff for years, for years, and then the Allied forces. It wasn't just rumors. They knew this was happening, but they didn't do anything to stop the Germans uh, because of the peace treaty. And then also in between Germany and France, there's a small uh, there's a small region called the Rhineland. Now, the Rhineland became a peaceful, demilitarized, neutral zone after World War One, And it, no military personnel were allowed in this region as a way to prevent any kind of escalation towards war. Now, what happened was the Germans marched right into the Rhineland, led by led by Hitler. They literally just walked on foot, entered the Rhineland, and took over the region. And no nobody stopped them. Nobody went up to stop them. Nobody questioned it. Um, France could have put up a fight and say and tried to defend the region along with the other allies. Maybe London, uh, England could have helped out, but instead they just let the Nazis walk into the Rhineland. And then what happened was. The Nazis took over this region, which had incredibly great um, location in terms of uh, battle strategy. And then the Nazis militarized this zone. They brought their armies there. They built bunkers there. They they gathered all their forces in the Rhineland. And then from this strategic position, they attacked Poland. Poland. And so what happened was the Western allies failed to act. And their failure to act against the Nazis gain in power and their rise in power and the spreading across Western Europe is what gave the Nazis uh, a grip over uh, control of Europe once they got this region um, and they gained a foothold in this area. And so I think Upham represents that the failure to act towards evil. Even if you don't want to kill, there are certain circumstances where it, you have to kill. And so Upham represents that the, because of his inability to act, he sees that People die because of it. And that's why he kills Steamboat Willie at the end, because he understands that the he has to act in times of war. You have to kill. Yeah, I think the Allied in the world was a bit naive with, obviously very naive with, with Germany and 
what their plans were and what they wanted to do, whether they they wanted to admit it or not at the time. And I think that the Munich Agreement, which Neville Chamberlain went and got that treaty signed, which was between Germany, the UK, um, French Third Republic, and the Kingdom of Italy at the time. You know, I think they thought he came back to England and the world thought like, oh, they got a peace treaty from Germany. Everything's going to be okay. We're not going to war. And I think everyone was just kind of like, no one wanted to instigate in a way you could yeah. probably say. And it's sort of like whoever shoots first starts this massive world war. But obviously it had to come to the point where the, the Nazi German party had to be, st- the army had to be stopped and we had this massive war. But you're, you're, that's a great point where up and represents the failure to act for sure. Yeah. There's great action sequences, but Spielberg always finds moment of quiet and reflection. Like after the after the Omaha battle, well, I can't remember the soldier's name. He the Jewish one. He cries after he gets the Hitler youth knife. Private Mellish. Yeah, Mellish. He 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 like begins weeping. And the other soldiers, even though they're not crying, they're acknowledging how how difficult their that ordeal was and they have that great sequence in the church where they're all just socializing and just being a couple a few guys chit-chatting and, and shooting the shit for once and then uh they the burying of the dead soldiers after they they uh take out that that bunker and then before the battle of Vermel, they they um they listen to that edith pf song and then ryan um tells a story about his the last day he was with his brothers so i think that what makes this movie so strong is how he makes you Spielberg makes you feel like you know these men, uh, and makes you he he makes you learn who they are and and really fall in love with them and grow to understand the bond and brotherhood they have. I love that scene where they're they're in Ramel, that town, the French town, which doesn't exist by the way, that was made up, and they're waiting for those four tanks and the fifty infantry men to come across there, and they're going to try to stop them from taking that bridge with that surprise attack, and it's such a great scene where they're all just. They have time to themselves, and it's the first time in a while they can relax in a way. And they're playing that Edith T.S. song, and Upham's translating it. But also, what's happening is they're about to go to battle, and I'm sure they all thought they were probably going to die. Like a suicide mission. Yeah, basically yeah. a suicide mission, you could say. It's like freak. It's like Home Alone with war. Like they're just like, I guess we'll make sticky bombs with our socks. <laughs> um, but all their character, all these characters, and what Spielberg does, he spends like 15 minutes with these characters before anyone comes, before the tanks come, where they're talking and, and discussing their memories, their favorite memories of before the war, and whether they're discussing it with the others or not. You know, um, uh, Ruben's discussing how when he's in the fitting room, and the woman with the large bosom is is like, any anytime you feel scared out there, I want you to remember these. And we hear, yes, ma'am. Um, <laughs> James James Ryan's story. Private Ryan tells his story to Captain Miller. About the, me- the medic talks about his mom, um, and so everyone's kind of going through their favorite memories in a way, or, or memories that make them feel happy. Um, whereas a character like Captain Miller, he won't give up his memories. He's saving them for himself because he's enjoying them for one last time, just for him. He doesn't want to share it with with uh, Ryan and Horvath. Doesn't want to share any of his memories with anyone. He's they're all kind of just sitting there thinking about their lives and trying to think of something happy in a way. And that battle of Ramel, it's so intense because of that buildup, you know, that, the, that, that waiting for it to happen. You, you, like, even though their moment, it's like they, their sweet moments, it's like in the back of your head, you know, these Germans are coming here eventually. They're going to show up any minute now. And, 
and this is a moment of calm but it's the the fight's coming to them very soon and uh, the build up to the fight is great and then the battle of Ramel you could argue is almost as on par it could be better than the Omaha battle because there's so much more to it uh it's a complex action sequence and I think that Steven Spielberg is the the greatest director in terms of blocking scenes, and and blocking it means um, how the cast interacts with the camera, which interacts with the environment. So like how people move in a scene and where they go and where the camera goes. I think that there's no director that has ever done it better than Steven Spielberg. I think that's the strength of his filmmaking throughout his entire career, and he shows that with this sequence of. All several soldiers battling in different areas of this town, um, dealing with different conflicts, and it's like its own movie within the movie. And I, I adore the sequence. It's hard to watch at times. Like that knife fight with Mellish when he's fighting Steamboat Willie, it's so intense. And and when when Steamboat Willie is like driving it down, and Mellish is just like begging him, no, stop, 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 stop. It's, he's like, I, I let you yeah, go. I yeah, saved your life. Yeah, he, it's so difficult to watch and. And it, you can tell, like the German, like he's doing it because he has to. He, he like he he kind you can see that he kind of feels bad, and he's like, he speaks in German. And what he actually says to Melish, as he's bringing the knife down to kill him, is he say he says, "Give up. You have got no chance. This way is much easier for you, much easier." So he's like kind of saying, like, "I'm trying to make this easy on you. If I just I can just kill you right now and put you out of your misery." And it's kind of it's a very he says it in German, but if you if you understand what the context of what he's saying to Melish, it kind of brings you to understand that like the the guy is trying to be somewhat kind to him by giving him a quick death rather than trying to do something that could just damage him and cause him a great amount of pain. Yeah, I don't know if I see that character that way. I think that character, which we see later when he goes back into the war machine, whether he's been brainwashed to that extent or not. Um, I, I just see him as, as just a purely evil person, especially the way he like looks at up and when he goes down the stairs, like he doesn't care what he just did, even though he, he spares up but the look he like has on his face is like, whatever. No, <laughs> <laughs> I completely disagree with you because why would he even say anything to Melish as he's killing him? Maybe like, yeah. why would he even say anything? And if he was a ruthless murderer, he would have killed up right there. Yeah. But so he, he spared up and then he, tr he, I think he purposely tried to make Melish's death easier on him. It's, it's really hard to try to get in the mind of a Nazi because it, because of the amount of brainwashing they went through and, and years of just like learning to hate and learning to want to kill, you yeah. know, what that does to a yeah, person. Yeah, and also learn in, in learning that they are the dominant species, yeah, basically. Like pretty they, much. They, were, they learned for years that they Germans are the ultimate apex of humanity. Yeah. And so they viewed everyone as lesser than. Yeah, but I think that you're. it's a great point to bring up that it could be better than the Omaha Beach battle scene because the Omaha battle scene... It's so shocking. That's really what it is. It's it's less emotional, more shock and awe. It's like, what the hell? I can't believe this happened. I can't believe. I couldn't imagine what it's like to be one of these people on this beach, one of these these men getting gunned down before they even leave the boats. It and makes everything. you question, like, what would I have? What yeah. would have been like if I was there? Would I have been the guy throwing up, or would I have been the guy who would have like Ran taken up. charge and become a warrior? Like, you don't know until you're in that situation. Yeah, because I mean, think about it. Put yourself in those shoes. You get on the beach and. You, you either stay still and die 
or you find the strength and courage to keep moving up the beach, even though everyone around you is dying still. That's that you have no retreat. You can't go back. Behind you is the ocean. Yeah. What are you gonna do? Yeah. You can't go backwards. So whereas the opening battle is shock and awe, the final battle of Ramel, it's very emotional. That's a great scene. The knife scene is an emotional scene, but also because we've been on this journey with all these characters and we've grown to really like them all individually and they've all come together and and we've watched them build camaraderie and brotherhood and and they're there with Ryan and we've watched Ryan say that he wants to stay and fight with his brothers, the only brothers he has left, and to watch a lot of these characters who we, we really grown to like throughout the film and connect with. We watch, watch a lot of them die. And so I think that's why it's more powerful than the opening scene. And it's also so intense. Like, the tank warfare is extremely intense. Like, um, them attacking the tanks or the tanks, like, really doing intense amount of damage to, to the area. Especially when that tank uh, takes out Jackson in, in the bell tower. Which is super surprising because he's, like, the coolest character in the movie. And he's so awesome. And also, that 20 millimeter. Uh, machine gun that they start using which just devastating tears people up it's the the bullets are so big that it just like cuts an arm off if it hits it so uh, the the germans had such high firepower in their arsenal that they were such goliaths on the battlefield and i think that's what the met that's what it means that's the meaning of captain miller's death so at the end when captain miller is shooting his pistol at that tank in front of him and it's like, why are you shooting a pistol at a tank? And then it blows up thanks to a, a, a airstrike. Air, airstrike that hits it. Because why would you even shoot a pistol at a tank? Like, what's the point? But I think it's a metaphor for the war itself because the Nazis and the, the Axis forces were such a monstrous enemy. And... Countries were falling to them easily, and they seemed like an unstoppable force. It seemed like it was futile to go up against this Goliath. And so I think that Miller represents that that desire to just keep fighting, no matter how big the enemy is, no, no matter how, how certain defeat seems, to just keep fighting and going until your last breath. And that's basically what the Allies did to win. Yeah, because he could have just laid down and died because he had bullets inside of him, but he's still fighting. One of my favorite parts about the ending scene is, or the last sequence, you could say the third act, is meeting Private Ryan and meeting James Ryan, played by Matt Damon. And the fact that he has an, a ticket home, and you can probably assume that most people in the war would have jumped at that opportunity to go home, just like the fake Ryan we talked about, or the wrong Ryan, the, the James <laughs> other, the other James Ryan, where he's weeping, he's drunk, I want to go home, let yeah. me go home, my brothers are dead. Nathan Fillion for you uh, Serenity nerds. Um, but to have this James Ryan, James Francis Ryan, question why bring him back, even though his brothers have died, why him? Why does he deserve to get to go home? All of his his uh, his brothers in war, they deserve to go home just as much as him. And he refuses to go home. He wants to stay and fight. He wants to stay and defend his br the bridge with his with his men. He wants to serve his country, serve the war. And he tells them, tell them when you find me, when I, when you found me, I was here with the only brothers I have left. And there's no way I was going to desert them. And I think this is what gets so much respect from the other characters to who've gone so much just to find him. 
trying to bring him home. He won't leave, but now he's going to stay and fight. And so their entire mission to them, you could think they're thinking it's futile. What was the point of all this? But really, like you said earlier, it's the hope of the war. Yeah. And Matt Damon was perfect. And uh, Steven Spielberg actually cast him because he was an unknown at the time of the casting. And he wanted an unknown for Ryan. He didn't want someone famous. But uh, what ended up happening was before this movie was released, Goodwill Hunting became a sensation. Uh, and Matt Damon became an overnight superstar. And ironically, it worked against what Steven Spielberg had intended because he wanted uh, a non-star for the role. But he got the new hottest star in Hollywood ended up being in his movie. But uh, Matt Damon is perfect because what's made him such a beloved star is he's relatable. He ha he always ha he has this infectious personality. He has this infectious relatability. Um, he has this charm. There's just this way about Matt Damon, and you can see it in this early role of his, how good he is on camera, how good he is as a performer. Because the other actors in this movie, very good actors, but none of them in that crew made it to like A-list status outside of Tom Hanks and Vin Diesel. And the reason for for that is like Matt Damon's like on an acting, he's like acting in the major leagues and the other guys are minor league actors. Like Matt Damon is a sensational actor and he really showed his chops with this movie because imagine you're you're like 26 and you're the most important role in a Steven Spielberg movie. Like that's got to be very daunting. And he really pulled it off and showed how talented he was in this movie. Yeah, he kind of... If you've never seen the movie and you're watching it, he comes out of nowhere like an interstellar. You're like, oh my God, it's Matt Damon. <laughs> <laughs> you're right. <laughs> just pops up out of the sleeping chamber. He just keeps getting saved in movies. First The Martian, then Interstellar, oh, the, Saving the, Private The United Ryan. States government has spent so much money saving Matt Damon. It's, it's crazy. insane. It's nuts. Lives have been lost to save Matt Damon. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, the, the, final, the first battle and the final battle are fantastic. But I also love that the short battle on that hillside with the bunker, the machine gun, mm -hmm. where they they take this detour, they refuse to take a detour to go around it. You know, this is about when they're a little bit on their mission to save Ryan. They haven't lost, they only lost Caparzo up to this point, and they don't want to lose any more men. And Captain Miller, they, they find this bunker and this machine gun just waiting to take out allied forces if they ever come roaming around. And fortunately, they don't, they don't know that they're there. And Captain Miller wants to take it out even though all of his men want to go around it, they want to take a detour, but Captain won't let them. And they're trying to debate with him respectfully. They're trying to say, like, this isn't our mission. It's not our objective. Why are we doing this? We don't want to lose anybody else just to save some person we don't care about. But Captain Miller is trying to explain to him, our objective is to win the war. And when was the last time you felt good about doing anything if you don't feel good about this? And he's not going to let this bunker and this machine gun just wipe out anyone else that comes stumbling across it because he believes so much in responsibility and saving as, as many lives as possible even though he has to put lives on the line this is back to his rationalizing the expendability of his men where he might lose a man here but in the outcome he could save 10 or 20 times more and what's really cool about that scene is when the action sequence starts Spielberg filmed the entire thing from Upham's POV through his um, little binocular, um, monocular. And the reason for this is, like, because otherwise there's no camera, other other camera angles during the fight. And the reason for this was because 
Um, the sunlight wasn't working for all of the coverage that Spielberg wanted and had intended for the fight. And so just on a whim, because like you said earlier, he didn't storyboard and he didn't plan ahead. And so he was like, if I can't get the shots I want, let's just shoot it through this little monocular that uh, Upham has and see what happens. And that's why that sequence is all through that POV. And it looks fantastic. I love yeah. that. It really makes you feel like you're watching it on the on the field. Yeah. And it, they end up stopping the machine gun and taking out the Germans. That's obviously where Steamboat Willie comes into play. But also they, they lose Giovanni, Giovanni Ribisi's character, Wade. And this is, I think, probably the most tragic death in the movie because Wade is such an innocent person because he's kind of like up and where he's in war, but he's there to help people. He's there to save lives. He's a medic. He doesn't really want to fight. He doesn't want to kill anybody. He's trying to do the exact opposite. It's kind of like uh, Hacksaw Ridge sort of, except obviously he, he still has a gun on him, but he's he's there to help. He's, here, he's there to save lives. And so just watching him die is so tragic, and he's asking for his mama, and it's, it's, it's dark, and, and listening to him try to explain to them how to fix him. He's asking about what his wounds look like. Yeah, it's, well, it's then tragic. Then he starts saying his liver, like he can feel his liver yeah. failing because he's knowledgeable, and he, he knows the bullet went through his spine, and his, his hands are shaking like that. I think it's one of the best, one of the best death scenes ever. I think it's fantastic because, because like you grew up watching Hollywood movies, and and usually male superstar actors are like super tough guys, and like they go out, they usually say some like cool line before they die, yeah. and catch that last one liner. But uh, Wade begs for his mom, you know, and he's it shows like he's just a kid. He's probably like 20, 21 years old, if that, if that. So I think that Spielberg was adamant about showing how young these soldiers were oftentimes. And I think two of the major, th one of the major themes of this film is the concept of morality and war and can they coexist? Can you have morality and war? And these characters I think are constantly learning that maybe if you try to be moral in war, it leads to death. It might lead to your death, like Caparzo trying to be a moral, morally good person trying to save that girl and because of that and trying to reach out for the young child he gets shot by the sniper rifle and i think that i don't think both can exist at the same time i think that might be what this film is proving in a way that even if you want to be a good man or a good person in war it's still you're in war and it's maybe impossible for them to coexist yeah it is you have to kind of leave your humanity at the door in warfare I if would you say. want to survive and yeah. if you want to win yeah John Williams' score to this movie is also fantastic. And even though there's not a ton of music in this film, because what I think Spielberg does so effectively is he lets the sounds of war carry these battle scenes specifically. And also like those scenes with rain and stuff. I think that that's a great job that he does. But um, Williams actually recorded the music for this film at a Boston Symphony Music Hall kid in Massachusetts. It's a wicked, wicked piss of score, One of the Kai. best places to record and play music. It's phenomenal in the world. And uh, Tom Hanks was actually present during the recording um, of the orchestra. And John Williams actually surprised the orchestra where they took a break, like an intermission from recording. And he asked Tom Hanks to read that Lincoln letter to the orchestra for the players and singers to kind of make them feel the emotions of the film and try to put that into their musical performances in a way. So I think that's just a really cool fun fact about it. Yeah, he uses um he highlights the French horn in this one. John Williams is using famous for using French horn. The opening scene in this movie, it always brings me to tears when when uh, the elderly private Ryan is walking through the cemetery and you see 
what Spielberg, it's this brilliant shot. It's, so, it's such a good shot, like I said about his, his blocking, because the way he frames the shot, and it's, it's, a, it's a, a tracking shot. Ryan steps onto the grass, but we don't know exactly where he's walking because the camera stays on him. And then the further he goes, the camera just tracks with him. And then as the camera keeps moving to the left, it reveals more and more stones until we realize there are thousands of tombstones, uh, veteran memorials, who, men who passed away in war. And these are for the men whose bodies didn't come yeah, back. Yeah, thousands and thousands of these stones. And just the way he reveals that shot mixed with Williams' music. And then when Miller is... And then when Ryan bring, falls to tears just at the sight of the tombstones, I think with John Williams' music, it's such a such a powerful and moving scene that highlights the sacrifice that so many people endured to win this war. And it always brings me to tears. Yeah, this is a really emotional film every time I watch it. I mean, whatever your opinions are on United States of America or whatever country you live in, the history of your country, um, Saving Private Ryan, and there are very few war films like this that really make you not want to take your life for granted. Appreciate the time you've been born in, where you've been born how lucky we are to not have been these 17-year-old, 18-year-old men that were shipped off across the world to fight and die in a war to try to stop pure evil and monstrosity. And I, I really feel so lucky every time I watch this film because it really puts a lot into perspective. And it really shows that, I mean, this this movie might not show it completely. I think they do it with the characters, but... The United States and these countries, it's the most unified they've ever been was World War II. It really brought the country together like nothing before. Like you can maybe argue 9-11 was one of the most unifying moments, uh, despite the death that it was caused during it for the United States. I mean, for what, three, four or five years, every street, every car, American flags everywhere. Everyone yeah. has a sticker on the car of an American flag. Every house in every neighborhood and American flags is the most unified this country had ever been. And I really miss those times. Uh, of that camaraderie throughout the entire country and how we all felt to, like we were together and we all were in it together in a way and wanted the best for each other. And this film really makes me feel that and appreciate everything that we've been given because of the sacrifices that so many of these people gave for us. All right, now let's move on to a lighter note and do some superlatives for Saving Private Ryan. Superlatives or superlatives? Superlatives? Superlatives. It's a weird word, man. Superlatives is pretty easy. Was it Latin? You always say superlatives. 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 All right. Um, MVP of the film. Steven Spielberg. Yeah, I agree. For his filmmaking and directing. And I think he just made the, the greatest war film ever made. Best scene. Storming of Omaha Beach. I mean, it's one of the greatest war... It's probably the best war scene ever made. I mean, yeah. I don't think it's, there's another answer. It's the highlight of the movie. Best shot. My favorite shot is after they free Steamboat Willie and let him go, and then Captain Miller starts going and digging up graves for the dead American soldiers, and then the men go and join him to help. And then uh, Spielberg cuts to like a moment, like an hour or so later, and... Um, all the men are digging, and they're silhouetted by the sun setting in the background. 
And it's this amazing shot of Miller standing um, and his men are digging in the background and they're all silhouetted. And then the barbed wire of the boundary is also silhouetted in the image, but because the barbed wire is closer to the camera, it looks massive. And so it's like it sprung out all over Miller and the others and higher, it stands higher than him. And so it's a, I think it's a great image depicting um, many of the themes of the movie right there. Yeah, I think the, the my favorite shot, as I, I mentioned it earlier, is the first shot of the beach, the Dutch angle of the shore, the low tide, the waves coming in and crashing against the anti-tank and anti-landing craft hedgehogs. I think it's just calm before the storm, Dutch angle showing that something is amiss and, and not right and something terrible is about to happen. Best actor, Tom. Tom Hanks. Tom Hanks. Tom Hanks. Hanks kid. Best line. The best, the line that always kills me is when we cut back to an elderly Ryan and he, he begins breaking down, asking his family if he lived a good life over and over again because it, it's so powerful because he feels so much remorse and so much burden for the lives that were lost to save his own. And it's a powerful scene because he, he you can tell that Every day he probably tried to do his best to lead as good a life as possible be, to honor the sacrifice of these men. And also Captain Miller's dying words to yeah. him were, earn it. Earn it. Earn this life. Yeah. Earn this sacrifice. Make sure you live a good life. My favorite line is, is Miller. I brought up earlier. With every man I've killed, the farther away from home I feel. It's a very powerful line. Yeah, very powerful. Uh, most underrated aspect, I'm going to say cinematography. It's uh, exceptional because the special effects and everything going on, the action, it distracts it in a, you from it in a way, but it's it's groundbreaking. It's it's beautiful and heartbreaking. It's it's terrific. I would say the most underrated aspect of Saving Private Ryan is the, the visual effects. There's actually a lot of CGI in this movie that Industrial Light and Magic did. And a lot of people don't even know that. They actually kept it out of the press and they didn't really talk about it too much because they didn't want people to know that a lot of CGI was used. And so pretty much every bullet was CGI. Um, they also extended backgrounds to CGI. Uh, for example, after they win the Omaha Beach battle and then Spielberg cuts back to the beach and a bunch of um, American forces are moving onto the beach, like a lot of that CGI. And so I think that... Um, the minimal, the, the hidden use of CGI is a, a great underrated aspect of this movie. All right, let's do some uh, some fun facts about the film. Let's do it. I actually have this this great little anecdote about Steven Spielberg, and you could say that Stephen Fry Ryan was kind of a movie that he was working towards his entire career because he's dabbled in war a lot. Um, Schindler's List, obviously, is... Uh, you you probably couldn't even I wouldn't even say that's a completely a war it's film. It's a wartime movie. It's a it's a Holocaust film. It's, it's a wartime. Of, it's, movie. It's, yeah, yeah, but it's its own genre really. I think Holocaust films, but like in terms of war, showing battles and and stuff like that. And, Indiana Jones. Yeah, he's dabbled in a lot of films, but his father actually fought in World War II in Burma. He was in the Air Force. He was a radio operator of a B twenty five, and and Spielberg grew up watching all of these sixteen millimeter films his father made while he was over there, and 
And Spielberg, as a kid, he would actually make his own war movies with his father's 16-millimeter camera and his teenage friends. And his father helped him with practical special effects, costumes. He got them access to actual jets. And he would shoot it. So, like, there's this one movie he made where he would shoot his, his teenage friends in pilot gear, like, in the cockpit of a plane, like, pretending like they're shooting and flying around. He would he would tilt the, the cameras to make it seem like the, the plane's baking. And then he would intercut it with real war footage that you could purchase from camera stores. <laughs> and so he actually made these really great short films or, or full-length films as a teenager with the 16-millimeter camera and his, his teenage friends. And I think that he's got this fascination with war to not really glamorize it, but I think to pay homage to to the sacrifices that have gone into it. The Omaha beach scene cost $11 million to film and involved up to 1,000 extras, some of whom were actual members of the Irish Army Reserve. And of those extras, about 20 to 30 of them were actual real amputees, which who were issued prosthetic limbs, which would eventually blow up in each sequence. So... Those are real limbs being blown off amputees. The actors for Saving Private Ryan actually went through like a mini boot camp. So in order to prepare for their roles, the members, the main members of the cast, except for Matt Damon, they went to a boot camp run by Marine veteran Dale Dye in Warriors, Inc. And over the course of 10 days, the actors went through hell to learn what it's like to be a soldier. So they they actually lived like these real infantry soldiers in World War II. They would spend hours hiking in full gear and rain and at night and early mornings. They would sleep on the ground. They'd eat that nasty canned food. I'm sure Tom Sizemore had a cocaine ration. so <laughs> But that really built this incredible bond so that by the time they got to set, they were they felt like real soldiers and they they communicated so well. It's sort of like they were born again going to the to the movie shoot, but they but Spielberg purposely didn't want Matt Damon to go through this boot camp because he wanted the soldiers and the actors on set to like kind of have their own click outside of Matt Damon and to have a, a less respect for him versus each other because they went through hell together versus him just showing up all clean and pretty. Yeah, they wanted he wanted them to resent Matt Damon. Spielberg's actually a fan of Vin Diesel. He saw his first movie that he ever acted in, starred, produced, and directed called Strays. And um, Vin D- uh, Spielberg saw him in that and he wanted him for Saving Private Ryan. So he actually made Caparzo the role for him. And he he only got paid $100,000, but this is a huge stepping only. stone for him. And it obviously led to him getting Fast and Furious. So it was a great move by Spielberg putting him in this film because Caparzo is a great character. That's what's great about this movie. All of these characters, they're so unique. You know, we got the Brooklyn guy from New York and we have Tom Sizemore, this, this soldier who's been there for years. He's collecting dirt from every country so that's one of my favorite aspects of the film paul giamatti's in it ted yeah, danson's in it of guys. nathan fillion yeah ted danson had like a resurgence because i think he was just doing commercials at the time mm. that wraps our episode on saving private ryan again thank you so much for all you military personnel if anyone's listening for your service any veterans thank you for your past service and be sure to Go to patreon.com slash Raiders of the Lost Podcast. Become a patron today. Head on over to our website, RaidersOfLostPodcast.com. Check out all of our content, our merch and stuff. And thank you so much for tuning in. Take care, everyone.